0: Welcome everybody to another episode of Game Changers for Government Contractors. I have a much returning guest here, Mr. Kevin Jans and hello Kevin. Again. Hello. And I know a lot of folks know who you are, but give us the quick, who's Kevin, your podcast and that kind of stuff for folks who don't know.
1: No problem. Kevin Jans founded Skyway Acquisition, I guess, 12 years ago now. I was a contracting officer, realizing that if the industry folks understood what the contracting officer was thinking, government contracting would be better, would be easier, it would be more fun, all those great things. Yeah. And what that's evolved to over the years is that we started the podcast eight years ago, the contracting officer podcast. We now serve both sides. The name of our company, Skyway, is named after the Sunshine Skyway Bridge down here in Tampa. And the premise is, if you can see what's happening on the other side of the bridge, you'd be more successful. Well, now the government folks are coming to us saying, I want to understand the industry side too. Because the things that I didn't know that I didn't know as a contenting officer, and I freely admit to those (laughs) on our podcast, in fact, even on your podcast, that's what helps people kind of cross the bridge. So that's what we do our training consulting company that helps with people understanding what's the buyer thinking (laughs) and why does that matter, et cetera.
0: Well, you know, I don't know which one of those two is more valuable. I mean, it's great putting them together, but I'll tell you, you know, it's one thing educating the government side, it's one thing educating the industry side, but man, the government folks definitely have a learning curve given especially how many new government folks there are in the industry. There's been a flood of new folks. When you look at the industry, there's a lot of folks that have been in this for, I don't know, 50 years, seems like a hundred years, right? They're trying to teach the new folks. And I'm sure they're like, well, well, back in my day, we had a fax machine when that's all we had or a rotary phone. I don't know, but it's nice to see, because I didn't know that about your business. So it's nice to see somebody actually training more folks on the government side. So I really appreciate that. The
1: premise was that if if we could help both sides understand each other better, and the concept is to bring context to both sides. Yeah, Both sides want context. And it's really, it is, you're right, it is really cool. And it's also really fulfilling for the government folks to say, okay, for example, we're training folks, don't release an RFP on a Friday before a holiday. I didn't think they'd look at it till Monday. It's how they feed their kids. They're going to jump on it immediately and they're going to skip Thanksgiving to work on it. Once they know that, once they have that context, I actually got a post on LinkedIn from a contacting officer saying, you know what? We were going to release it on Wednesday before the Thanksgiving, but we decided to release it on Monday. What did he call it? Uh, Because of your chastising. (laughs) He was kind of picking (laughs) on me. But if you don't know what's going to happen, you don't make as effective decisions. And so being able to bridge that gap is super fun on on both sides because industry folks are always looking for context.
0: That's a good one. That's probably the top one is not doing doing that on a Friday. I would say the next one, if you haven't dealt with this one a whole lot, it's the whole, I'm releasing this and you have three days to respond. I can't tell you how many of those I'm seeing in the market right now. And I won't name the one agency that is doing it more than anybody I've ever seen in my life. But I've got clients that are like, they just did it. Look, they just did it again. And then like next week, they're like, they just did it again. And they're <laughs> releasing it on Friday with three-day responses. So you've right. got to work over the weekend. It's just wild to see that. And they're like, why aren't we getting a lot of answers to this? Or why does it look like it's half-baked put together? I'm like, I came out of the blue and gave them three days <laughs> to write a 300-page response or whatever it is, right? That's good stuff. This podcast today actually originated from a LinkedIn post you shared. You were talking about a hot topic here, and it might have been my post you responded to, but it was a hot topic been on my heart lately around how industry doesn't really understand what's going on on the contractor side. So this is right up your alley, right? I had been talking to some contracting officers, and they said they were getting anywhere from 200 to 250 emails a day seven Mm -hmm. days a week like literally Mm -hmm. no break my response to this person who didn't have an assistant or anything like that was how in the world do you sift through 250 emails a day and that's what kind of spawned this podcast today and you gave a great breakdown of the layers of how you respond i thought i'll just turn it over to you at this point and let you kind of walk through some of those layers and i can ask questions as we go If you're struggling with your government contracting business, I want to encourage you today to go sign up for a free coaching session with me. You can go in the description of this podcast. There's a link to my calendar and you can go pick a time where we can sit down for 30 minutes talk about what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong, what you should change. And then if coaching makes sense for you, I'll actually go over the options on how you can get started with coaching so we can take your business to the next level. Now let's get back into this episode.
1: First thing I'll start with is this is a concept of the joke that marketers ruin everything, is that email used to be effective and then people realize, oh, I can use this to market to people. And then now we yeah. all hate email because we're just getting yeah. a whole bunch of spam, et cetera. We need to create some kind of a process to filter through it. Some of the things that I put in that post were content officer centric. Some of them were just human centric. I'll kind of give you the highlights here and we can kind of talk through some other factors to consider. Biggest one is if I'm, I have 200 emails, and I went through the same thing. As a contracting officer, I've got so many emails from people I don't know. I've got so many emails. Somewhere buried in here, back before filters were as good, somewhere buried in here yeah. is a contract document that I probably have to sign. So I can't just like delete all of them. I have to look through and figure out, okay, which one is in there. So the first place I'm going to look is the known senders. Again, that's a human thing. Who, who do I know in here? Just like when you filter your email, like, okay, which one's from my wife? I'm going to read those first. Right? Yeah. Same idea. There's a lot of filters to help with that. But again, this is not a perfect system, particularly when it could be a different name of a person from a contract that you already have. And so that's the next thing I'm looking at is, is this on a contract that I already have? Even if the name, I don't recognize it. Now, the problem with that is I have to open it to see that. So this can slow me down a lot, which is where the frustration comes from. And I start looking at ones. If I don't recognize that name and I don't think it's related to a program I have, I'm probably just going to either delete it or what's worse, I'm going to leave it for quote unquote later. And we all have like 500 emails that we haven't gotten to. Yes. The never
0: later. Yeah, exactly.
1: There is no later. Like we're not going to have more time later. That's how business works. So once I've started with going through the known ones, then I go through the the contacts that I recognize, contacts, the names. Then I start looking for what programs do I recognize this program? Is it a contract I already have? It's something that I need to Work on first because it's an existing contract I'm managing, or what our contract specialist was managing. Then, oh by the way, most contracting officers have post award activities in a contract they already have, and they have pre award. They're running a source selection, or they have an RFI out, or something, right? So then you go to those. And to your point a minute ago about why contracting officers will sometimes put out something with three days notice, it's because by the time I get to the category four is my new RFPs. I just went through three piles. The fourth pile is my new RFPs, and if I got stuck trying to work my way through. A contract management task on a contract I already have, all of a sudden, my reading those RFI responses or my following up with that program manager about getting the final requirement done so he can release a draft RFP or even doing a draft RFP falls off to the wayside, right? So that's the fourth category is the things that are, are contracts that I'm in the process of awarding You know, can I keep stacking up, right? And now we get to ones, oh yeah, there's people I work with. There's people in my organization who may be sending me things that are related to all those other things that I might not recognize. Like I I remember the moment where I got at McDill, and I got an email from a program manager that I didn't recognize. Turns out he had taken over the program that I was managing. I didn't know that. I I missed that email. So I didn't Hmm. think it was that important. Turns out he should have been in category three. (laughs) It was one of the contract that I already had. So how this cycle starts to get more complicated. So now I'm at the point where I've gotten through the ones that I know. I've gotten through the ones that I contracts that I already have or contracts that I'm going to award. Now, and this was the point of your post, when you send out an email to somebody who doesn't know who you are or why they should look at your email, how likely are they to look at it? So consider, I just went through all that stuff. And now I'm looking at emails that I may or may not recognize. Going back to your point about the 200 emails and why marketers ruin everything, that joke. I got so many emails from folks who just found my name as a contenting officer on some board or some company sold them a list of contenting officers. I remember one of the first companies that I was learning about when I started to look at starting a consulting firm for government contractors. A lot of the folks would say, well, on their website, we can send you hundreds of names of contenting officers to follow up with. Ouch. <laughs> and, yeah. and at the time, I'm actually a officer going, that's a terrible strategy, right? Because you're just making the problem worse. And so I'm getting those emails and imagine that thousands of contenting officers are all over the country, different agencies. So we're cynical. So on top of the fact that there may be a nugget in there after I've already spent a half an hour, just trying to get my head above water on the emails. Again, that's a business function. I'm not saying that contacting officers are the one that suffer from this. If you're running a company, if you're running an organization, if you have any kind of business that works through email, we all have gone through some version of my first description. My point is, if you work for a small company, you're the business development director for a small company. Your name's not publicly out there for people, thousands of people potentially trying to sell you stuff. That's the difference. So understand Mm. that when you send an email to a contracting officer, their name is out there. Funny, I actually got an email as recent as three years after I left my position Mm -hmm. as a contracting officer. It was an in-mail on LinkedIn. The person that sent me the email thought I was still a contracting officer just because of the name. He's like, oh, Kevin G, you must be a contracting officer. I'm like, wow, if I'm out and you're still stalking me, imagine how that feels for the folks inside. And so think in terms of the person you're reaching out to is getting inundated because their name is public. And because they have the power of the pen, they can sign contracts, people want to sell them things. So going back to, okay, what do you do? Well, a lot of what you and I were talking about in that thread is that what's in it for them, there's a human marketing thing, and do you actually sell what they buy? And that's the biggest one I foot stomp with folks. That was the number seven thing. I'm looking for people, if if I get an email from a company that sells software, or they sell professional services for kind of pick a thing, training, right? And I'm in an agency where I'm buying aircraft at that moment. I'm scrolling through those looking, that's that's not what I buy. I'm very unlikely to reply to you, even though you got my email, as I am a contenting officer somewhere in the military. It's not the same thing. So again, this is traditional advice on how to market well is who are you talking to? Who are you targeting? Don't just send an email to somebody because they have a title. It's like you and I, you know, we do business to business sales effectively, right? Us buying a list of like the CEOs of privately held companies in Missouri and then spamming them all. Even money says that probably 10% of those companies do business with the government. Most of them don't. They have no interest in our email. Yet yeah, that's right. exactly what it feels like when you're starting to spam a bunch of contacting offices.
0: That's really good in a lot of context there. In fact, something I hadn't really thought about. So I use a couple of email platforms. The most common one is I use the web version of Outlook and everybody's computer comes with an Outlook version on it. It is the most frustrating app in the planet. The current one that's on there, it's called Mail. It's actually not called Outlook. I think they're getting rid of it. It's a side note. But if you're using Mail, it doesn't have a preview pane. Ouch. So you mentioned having to open, like you physically... You can see the subject line, but there's no preview of the email. So you can't quickly scroll through it. You've got to open it. And then when you open it, it's open and you don't know how to close it effectively. It's a total nightmare using that. Depending on what email client somebody is using could also make their life harder in trying to see your stuff. And it really occurred to me that some people may use a stupid email client. Like I, I just have some personal emails through it and because um, it's a, a consolidated inbox is why I liked it. Of course, a month after I figured out how to use it, they decide to send a note that says we're getting rid of this. It's Microsoft for you. I have a friend of mine who he's well-known in this market. I'm not going to say his name. We might've mentioned it on his podcast. I don't remember. We were talking about his email box because I was like, hey, your secretary told me not to email you because at any given time you have 90,000 unread messages (laughs) in your he's like yeah if you ever need me man just text me text me and say you just sent something that way i can look for (laughs) there's no filter on the world strong enough and i think about people like this who are getting 250 emails a day maybe you can respond to 25 maybe and that stacks up and now you've got all this backlog and maybe you just delete a bunch of them after you go through all those importance when you, you name there I feel like it's the BS meter that they apply first. Like if that was a a filter, it's hey, this company says they can help sell me the things they're selling. But he also mentioned his paragraph. In addition to cybersecurity or technology, whatever they also do janitorial and heavy construction and like nineteen other things. So like okay. Yeah, the BS meter goes, nah, these guys don't know who they want to be when they grow up. Next. And they don't even respond. So they're filtering like in those levels is what I see. My advice has always been ask a specific question. Make your subject line kind of like a headline where it's actually what you're talking about, not introduction or I'd like to ask you a few questions. You know, like put a topic in there that's descriptive of the thing you're asking so they can quickly go, okay, I kind of have an idea what this is about oh it's only two sentences in the email versus a short essay about <laughs> their life or whatever because I get those emails too I don't know if you get any of those emails from people that are trying to work with you but I will get an essay of yeah, hey my situation is different it's very different than the average person and it's not it's the same as there's like three buckets of people in there in one of those three buckets but it's an essay of their life then there's a short description of the problem there's one guy I was like dude, you're sending me this on a social media platform and it's like a book and we're going to have to move this to email and you're going to have to get clear on what you're at. Like, I don't even know what you're asking. I'm confused, right? Anytime there's that, or like I have one client who I was reviewing emails from him and I'm like, Mike, you put five questions, but each one had six parts. This is a three hour response to this email three hours, you're never going to get it. That's the thing when I'm looking at the email system, it's like it can be effective, but you've got to be better at, you know, what are you asking for? Why are you asking? Have you done the research? My thing is the government's not there to teach you how to be a government contractor. It's not their job. If you look like you have no idea what you're doing, they're like, oh, that's very obvious. (laughs) It's extremely obvious and painful when they go, look, here's another one that doesn't know what they're doing. And and they're asking these very weird questions. So does any of the stuff or all of the stuff that I'm saying make sense to you being on that side of it of, yeah, I've seen all of that. And that's exactly how I felt.
1: So many layers with that. The biggest one is actually two big ones. Number one, don't give people homework in your email. Mm. Your point about taking a three-hour response, you're giving them homework. That's why they can't finish the email and move on versus asking them one question. A very pointed, specific question it's showing that you've actually, like you said, do the, do, do the research, you know what they might care about, et cetera. The other big factor, and this is kind of like the second half of my little story of, that I didn't put on LinkedIn, was who are you talking to? Do you know who hmm. you're talking to? Now, I, I get it. We talked about the, the targeted cognitive officer, et cetera, et cetera. But remember that there, we talk about this in episode 118 of our podcast, just the, the three deciders. There's three deciders in every acquisition. The economic decider decides if it's going to be funded the customer who decides what's going to be bought because they're the one that's going to use it, and then the procurer or the contracting officer, right? So if you're buying a car, you're all three of them. You're the one who is mm-hmm. funding it, you're the one who wants the car, and you're the one that signed the contract. Well, in an, a large organization, and by the way, these, these exist in B2B too, if you're selling to a Fortune 100 company, they're three different groups of people, right? Well, that's the thing that people miss sometimes is that the contracting officer doesn't have any money, they don't have a requirement. The money comes from the economic decider, and the requirement comes from the customer. So to start with the contracting officer, there's another reason that I look through here like, why would I reply to you? Not only do I not buy what you sell, but I don't, I'm i not buying it now because this is October right. and we, re- we just renewed all of our contracts. We p- pick a reason, but I'm not the one with the money or the one with the requirement. My job is to take the money from the economic decider and buy what the customer needs. I'm the how. The contracting officer is the how the acquisition gets done. So if you don't know what they buy or if they can pay for it, the contracting officer is Definitely going to ignore you because they get nothing but bad news to give you, It's just like, right. I can't help you, right? And they, they could reply, but most of the time, again, 250 emails, I'm not going to reply and say, oh, sorry, I can't help you because what are you going to do? You're going to say, why not? And now I'm in a conversation. I'm like, right. I love you, but I can't help everybody one at a time, right? That's a big part is figure out who you're talking to. If you're talking to the economic deciders, different conversations. If you're talking to the customer, different conversation. If you're talking to the contenting officer, it needs to be in a context of something that they can actually buy. Mm-hmm. which means they need money and they also need a customer. The second part of that is like you and I did the episode, I don't know, hundred episodes ago or whatever, yeah. about which time zone, which acquisition time zone they're in. So those of you who don't know, I was like a couple of years ago, you and I did this. But the four acquisition time zones, so there's the requirement zone, the market research zone, the RFP zone, and the selection zone. That's not a far concept. That's like a concept we developed mm-hmm. years ago. But the basic idea is the requirement zone is when the requirement is being developed. The accounting officer is a little bit involved there. Market research zone is where there's enough of a requirement to go buy something. And now accounting officer is talking to industry a little bit, maybe doing RFIs, maybe doing draft RFPs, et cetera. That's when I might be looking for an email from you. If the requirement's not written yet and you're, hey, I want to show you my capability statement. It's like, I don't know if we're buying that. (laughs) It doesn't help me yet. The email to send in that scenario is, hey, I heard you buy the kind of things that we actually sell. Can you forward this to someone in your agency who would want to know that this is what we do? Forwarding is much easier than replying. That was a specific question that I can, 15 seconds, it takes me to go, oh yeah, the program manager, Mary, she actually needs four, done. That's what you want, some kind of an action, but it's because you sent it to them in the requirement zone. Send me that same thing in the market research zone where I'm trying to figure out, is this something a small business can do? Is this something that the evaluation criteria should be based on past performance? Am I trying to figure out whether that's a commercial item? I'm trying to figure that out now. And so now you're thinking, okay, I'm sending you an email that says, did you know that our product is commercial as a commercial item? Here's evidence as to why. I want to know that now. I didn't want to know that two months ago. And I don't want to know that two months from now when you protest that I right. work with somebody else. I want to know that now. And then when you get in the RFP zone, which is after the RFP is released, now the communication is entirely different. So now if you come to me and say, hey, like, this is my least favorite email to get. I put out an RFP for say a small business set aside. And I'll get three or four companies who were in a different type of small business, veteran-owned, women-owned something. And they would be frustrated with me for not setting it aside for their niche. Of course, I don't reply because this doesn't help. It just makes them angry. But my basic answer is, where you been? It's like if if there were five women-owned small businesses to do this or veteran-owned small businesses that could do this, I had to know that during the market research zone. Now for me to back it up and change my strategy. And a a more extreme example of this is when we don't set it aside for small businesses. And then the Mm. small businesses, come. I do it full and open and they come back and they're frustrated. And I'm like, I wish you'd have talked to me two months ago. So timing matters, which goes back Mm. to your point, Mike, of you have to do the research to know where are they in this acquisition. And if you're just spamming them, the odds of your email lining up with that timing is really close to zero. That's why it's so
0: important. My favorite is the guy or gal that says, hey, we've been emailing our capability statement out to everybody. And we... (laughs) Can't figure out why no one's responding or like, why are we blocked now from everybody? <laughs> and it's like, well, you're just blindly spamming them with an attachment of all things, right? Yeah. It's frustrating when I hear that because there are people in the market that say, well, just do that. And it's just a numbers game. You know, do that hundreds of thousands of times and it'll work. Well, you're going to tick off a lot of people in the process of doing that. That's a really fun one there. You mentioned a handful of very specific questions. And I think that's kind of a good way to, as we start to wrap up the episode, is what are the questions? Again, you've said a few here. What are the questions you like to see from people as a contracting officer? What questions and types of things? Again, you mentioned a few there. That One of my favorite ones that you just mentioned was the forwarding it on can you do that? But what other things would pique your interest? Or if I wanted to get a capabilities brief or something like that with you, I wanted to have a conversation. What are some of those emails that actually make you go, yeah, I'm interested in this?
1: The biggest one is something along the lines of, it looks like you buy what I sell. Don't put it in those words. It looks like your agency is a good fit for our services or you've bought from us before. It seems like we're a fit. Who do I forward this to? Or can you forward this to someone else? But the idea of, I know why I'm contacting you, and it's not because I just found you on Google. I have a solution that your agency can use. Like for us, one of the things that we do for the government folks is mentoring and training. We train on acquisition time zones and all kinds of stuff for industry too. But I know I'm going to the training manager because that's what they specifically need. As opposed to if I go to a contract specialist who may or may not know how their agency actually buys training, then I better ask them that question. Know who you're talking to. If you sell software development you're looking to sell to the DoD, okay, you've got the ear of the customer. Well, that customer needs to have a question that's based on what they actually deal with. In other words, this is a solution we have. This is fit with what you guys would use, you guys and gals would use. Whereas you go to the contenting officer and say, I talked to the program manager. It seems like this is a fit. I'd like to be included in any communication you have in the future for a potential RFPs. What am I going to do with that? Two things. One, I'm going to send it to the small business director because their job is to have a list. It's not my job to keep the list, right? And then number two, I'm going to probably file it and maybe hope that I'm remembered for later. You didn't give me homework. You gave me something that's useful to somebody in my agency. I mean, best case scenario, it's really useful to me right? Best case mm. scenario is that it's exactly what I buy. When I was buying training services, at, when I was working with Air Force contracts, the kind of stuff that we were buying, I knew what kind of companies I was looking for, right? Somebody who'd come with something that wasn't related to that, we're going to get either deleted or forwarded to somebody else. And I'm, I don't know what to do with it. And it's, it's homework mm. for me and no offense, but I'm not right. your marketing department, right? The idea of send them something that they specifically are looking for they're more likely to hang on to it. Going back to your point of what are the questions, if you don't know what questions that I would be asking, you don't know my agency well enough. You don't understand our mission well enough. So if you don't know what things I might be looking for, do you haven't Googled our agency. I mean, it's pretty easy right, to see the right. difference. Like what is the VA looking for versus what's the IRS looking for? I mean, they're different agencies right. and knowing why you're targeting them and knowing you know, what, why your product or service would actually help them. That comes across in the questions you ask. Mm. I hate to say it's that simple, but it kind of is. There's a lot of times folks will say, no. I want to sell to the government. That's like saying I want to invest in the stock market. Right. There's thousands of companies that some are doing great, some are not. Right. <laughs> and if you go in all in, you can do the with the Vanguard approach where you buy every single stock in the whole market. Okay. Well, that's, that's an average solution. Realistically, there, there are so many micro niches inside the stock market. Same thing here. There's so many micro niches inside government contracts. Yeah. And the more you can show that the questions that you send in an email to a contacting officer, that you're paying attention to those. You understand the difference between their agency, their office, their customer versus the government, the big G. It shows you're actually serious about helping them versus just, hey, what do I who can I sell to? which is to your point of like, just then you can build a statement to everybody on the planet. Somebody hey, will buy. Just give me okay. money. Yeah, exactly. Just mail me a check. Uh, yeah, that's how business works.
0: I like that. It's so simple. The thing that I love about the government market, especially the federal market, because the federal market, it's all in, in one place, is just the data that's available. Yeah. Even if you don't look at their website, you can go and look, whether it's USA Spending or the SAM Data Bank, you know, when that thing is not on fire, you can go look inside there and download a very quick report and you can split it out by your agencies. My favorite thing is looking at the approved by and prepared by fields because those are the contracting officers. Mm -hmm. And you can very easily filter highest to lowest and go "Ah, out of the 25 contracting officers buying stuff for DHS or whoever it is in my niche, my niche code, my keyword, however you want to do it. Here are the top 25, and these three are the ones buying the most. There you go. It (laughs) takes five minutes to pull that report to go, oh, hey, Steve Smith, I noticed because I was doing my research that you buy what I sell. Yeah, it's that joke of uh, preparing is easy. We just have to do it. I think most people, some people are not aware of it. Most people just don't want to do it.
1: Yeah. We've come up with all kinds of excuses. Yeah. They have excuses of of why not to target. I've kind of taught contenting officers now that in the business to business world, this kind of information is really hard to get. If it's a privately held company, it's almost impossible to get. And if you do get it, it is not free. In B2G, for all those reasons you just described, so much information is available for free. So the contenting officers are starting to learn that like the fact that you didn't research Mm -hmm. me, there's no excuse for that. It's free information. Now, you're right. A lot of people don't know that, which is why, you know, you and I have all kinds of training and free videos and stuff about how to do that. But that idea of the ability to learn how your customer buys to the granular level that's available through all the government data and to use that information Mm -hmm. to target your opportunities as a business leader, there's kind of no excuse
0: for skipping. Here's one of the things that I have like come to the realization over the last couple of years about most people don't have the research or analytical skills that You and I do. They don't like it's not inherent in their thinking, their strategy, even in their people. So when I talk to folks and I think this is so simple, I tend to forget that I'm a trained analyst and a trained private investigator. So part of my job in life, part of my job in the military, part of my job in life was actually taking one little bit of information. And using that to connect the dot to the next piece, to the next piece, until eventually I had all the puzzle pieces. But I never started with a whole puzzle. And most people are thinking, well, just give me the whole puzzle and I'll put it together. And I, But we only have one or two pieces. We've got to find the rest. We don't right. even know where they're located. And like in here, they think, well... The entire puzzle is really one piece and it's called the contracting officer. And if I talk to that person, there is no other layer. And not only are there other layers, there's different research methods and things about that contracting officer, about their agency to go in and be prepared. And again, that's been my big realization is the average person doesn't know how to do the research and doesn't know how to connect the dots. Like when you see on the cop shows and they got the little red strings, you know, a lot of people don't know how to connect those dots because they're trained as a hardware engineer, software engineer, a plumber, whatever it is, right? They're trained in a different mindset that isn't trying to solve the problem at all of these levels. And I find that podcasts like this help them expand their mind to go, there's a lot more to this than I've been thinking about. And it's not as easy as just spamming everybody on the planet and hoping for the best, right? Is there anything we missed in this discussion? I'm sure we could talk for hours about it, but anything specifically about like getting folks to actually respond and getting some action out of contracting officers from these emails?
1: I like your analogy of a puzzle. Being an entrepreneur, being a salesperson, growing a business is a puzzle. You're looking for a puzzle piece and know what puzzle piece you're looking for. I'm going to hold a string on your metaphor yeah. here. If I'm just sending the contenting officer an email that says, Hey, give me the puzzle. How many pieces are in the puzzle? They don't know what your puzzle looks like. They don't know what your company right. does. They don't know how big you are. They don't know how much experience you have. They don't know your story. One of our core values at Skyway is solving clients' unique puzzles. That is like what we focus mm-hmm. on doing. We bring in clients that are more, they have unique puzzles to solve. We enjoy that part because every situation is unique. So if you're contacting the contenting officer looking for a, show me the answer, there isn't the answer. <laughs> There's right. an answer. And the more context you give them by asking a specific question of, I'm a small company. I have past performance with your agency. I'm looking to expand into what your department does. Can you send my capability statement to your small business specialist? That's a very specific request mm. that shows that right. you're like, I'm looking for this puzzle. I'm looking for this piece of the puzzle. And I think it's over here with the contracts, either with the contract specialist or with the small business development folks. For me to just say, here's my capability statement. You decide what to do with it. I'm going to put it in the trash because you're yeah. giving me homework, right? And so that's the idea is that think in terms of what puzzle piece are you trying to find and then yeah. let them know I need your help in this way and then they'll decide. But if it's an easy task, they'll probably do it because
0: they're human. Two final points on my side and I'll let you close this out. One is something you said earlier that stuck with me around not responding because you don't want to upset them. Like people don't want to get into a grudge match, if you will, back and forth on whatever. And so anything like that, where the question is is going to generate negativity. It's going to create conflict. That's a big thing to avoid. And just avoiding it makes it go away, sort of. You know, because people will email you two or three times and then get the hint and just stop. Yeah. They'll just stop. And so as a professional email ignorer, which some contracting officers are, and I could be that way too, you understand, oh, you know, this person probably only has three mail emails in them. Maybe they have seven, maybe they have 10, but I'll just ignore them anyway. So that, that's an easy one to do. When I think about the puzzle, I think a lot of folks have one or two pieces, but they don't have the box. That's the thing, because they don't know the agency or They don't have the box, so they don't know what it looks like. Even if they can see a few of the pieces, the more you do research. research. Research on the agency, more you do research on the people, the more you continue to follow them in the news and all that kind of stuff. It's like the box image just starts to develop in front of you. So you go from having no picture of what you're even trying to chase to now, like, oh, Now I see where this fits because you could take the brute force approach where you have a bunch of puzzle pieces on the table and you just take, you grab a random piece and grab a random piece and try it all the different directions and then throw that down and then grab another one. You could do that. But it's slow and frustrating and it's really difficult to put the puzzle together. But if you had the box and you knew what to look for, you're like, I've got a red piece. I'm looking for another red piece. And that connects to a yellow piece and it starts to make more sense faster. But people don't develop that picture. And I think that's what's so frustrating to folks because they're just continually just operating out of brute force in the dark. That's what I see a lot of times. So hopefully this will shed a little bit of light, make them understand how to build the picture. Any final words for folks?
1: The, the final piece is part of that puzzle is going back to the three deciders is how, how is this going to be bought? That puzzle of how does this government agency buy? And like you said before, a lot of that information is available through USA Spending and all the different websites. For example, if you think that they're going to buy directly from you on a single award, hundred million dollar IDIQ, number one, that's good luck getting that approved. But on top of that, they probably have a contract vehicle. So if you come to them and say, hey, I want to sell you something, so does everybody else, versus I'm on your contract vehicle, I'm now a subcontract with so-and-so, now you have a piece of context. And it's because you understand how. That is part of the puzzle, is how does this government agency buy what you sell? And unlike in the business-to-business environment, where good luck figuring that out, in the public sector, particularly in the federal space, you can see who are your competitors? What contract vehicles are they on? There's your answer. So to be able to say, I know how, back to your point, tells you when you talk to those top three contracting officers you just mentioned, you know what contract vehicles they're using. You know how they buy. Mm. You know, they consider your product commercial or not based on what they've awarded. And that information shows that you're taking them seriously. Going back to the, the whole core of our conversation is if you're not going to take email seriously and you're just going to treat it like a tool that it, you expect the receiver to do something with whatever you send them just because the marketing world said that you, they would, good luck. let do if you start on the front end with, I have a, a solution I know that they need, I know how they would need it, and I know whom to talk to, now we're having real communication.
0: Most people just treat it like a sledgehammer. Let me just hammer all day long. And it's like, oh my goodness. So that's why you're not getting a response. Great discussion. I really appreciate it. I think this is really helpful for folks to get inside the head of both parties and hear this. I think this episode is not just good for the government contractor, but for the contracting officer, because a lot of folks don't necessarily know why they're frustrated on this side and what they're trying to do. They just don't know maybe everybody can be a little bit more patient with everybody we'll see how that works thank you for coming on talking about this man i really appreciate it
1: not a problem these are always fun Mike.
0: i really hope you enjoyed the podcast today if you did i would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast and screenshot it and tag me on linkedin or whatever social media you use so thank you again for joining us today and we'll see you next time